1: Hard working people, working hard for you and me,
0: moving higher, time and time
1: again, through the years you'll find us here.
0: moving higher. Hello and welcome
2: to Moving our Podcast number 222. This week I have a special guest by the name of Alan Hoskins, but first, this Moving Iron podcast edition is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Zoom Delivering Insights. If you're looking for a great place to look and see what's happening in the auction marketplace, go to tractorzoom.com and look at Iron Comps. Iron Comps is a great place to see what's going on in the auction marketplace and track what's going on there. And I'm telling you right now, if you're not tracking what's going on in the auction market, you are doing yourself an incredible disservice, especially with the market that we have right now. And those trend lines start to develop and things start to move down it is going to be the proverbial elevator down and not escalator down. So by all means, check that out. If you're interested in doing that, I check out use moving iron and you'll get a discount on your uh iron Cop subscription. So Alan Hoskins has been on the podcast, I don't know, four or five times here in the past. Alan is always gracious to come on and talk about what's going on from a multitude of perspectives. Alan is a banker, a farmer, and true glut for punishment, and deals in a little bit of the used iron marketplace. So, Alan, how you been, man?
1: Doing well, Casey. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate
2: it. I love the conversation, man. So every time we get to do this, I look forward to it, man. So there is a little different economy than what we talked last time. Last time we talked, we were for sure, weren't for sure what was going to happen, because we were at about $3 corn then. And... Uh, Seven dollar beans, and and didn't there wasn't a whole lot on the horizon that was going to point that we were going to move to anything uh, better than what we'd seen there. Had some pretty good movement through there and through the first of the year, and here we sit today with the commodity prices that we're at. So, um, I guess probably the easy thing to do here first would be, I guess, Alan, why don't you just give a a quick kind of rundown of what the situations are like out in uh, your neck of the woods? and kind of what you see happening out there and and what's the feel for the crops and those kind of things.
1: Sure you know Casey we we had uh, some very good spring weather early on we saw both corn and beans going in the ground a little earlier than normal and that worked well until we had an extended period of uh, colder weather colder than normal normal pardon me and had a little bit of wetter weather earlier as well. Kind of slowed the production a little bit. We saw, I think, beginning in mid to late May, we saw those growing degree units start to arrive on a little more consistent basis. And I would say that where we are now, we're probably somewhere an average crop. I could take you to some areas that They've gotten a little more rain than others here in the past two to three weeks, that they look fantastic. But I would say, as a whole, based upon what I've seen personally, plus in talking to multiple producers, I'd say we're somewhere about an average crop. Now, obviously, we don't know how the year is going to finish out, but we saw corn probably tossing a week or so earlier than normal in this area. We saw Said earlier, a lot of beans going in early. We're beginning to see more and more beans planted before corn. The size of beans as you drive through the area right now isn't exactly where you would anticipate they would be simply because of what we saw with that colder weather. And there were a number of fields that either had to be spotted in or replanted. I finished up planting personally May the 22nd. And while I was finishing a field for the first time, I had a couple of neighbors that were replanting. One was replanting corn, spotting it in. One was replanting a, a complete field of beans. So we, we've seen probably a little more replant, I would think, than normal this year as a whole. But we're I've not talked to anyone that's disappointed with their crop at this point. But we sure could use a little rain, I would say, here in the next uh, seven to ten days.
2: Yep. And I think your seven to ten days worth of rain thing is, is about the same about across the country. What I've talked to there's no one saying this sure year we should stop raining. I guess there are probably some areas where it's flooded. They don't want any more rain but for the majority of the countryside it's they could use some rain. That's for sure. So, Alan, I've been, <coughs> been watching this close and paying close attention to that. And You and I kind of talked about this a little bit before we got started here but you start taking a look at the inflationary period that we're in right now, and you start looking at interest rates and the Fed is saying, we're not going to raise rates in the first sentence and the next sentence. They're like, but there's a possibility that we could raise rates in the next mm-hmm. sentence. You know, So there's some very, very, very unclear guidance as to what their ultimate plan is, which that's pretty typical for the Fed. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking, what I'm more concerned about more than anything, and I'm not anticipating to see like, you know, 20% interest rates and 15% interest rates and those kind of things. But if you look at a very, the inflationary period coming out of the late seventies and then how that moved and, and graduated into the eighties, mm-hmm. um, now I was, I was born in 1977, so I, I didn't live through any of that, but, um, I do remember my dad has been in the oil field business and I do remember the mid eighties and how tough that was. Mm -hmm. and what that looked like. So I guess, Alan, as you take a look at this, you know, going back if, uh, you know, hindsight's 2020 historical perspective of what's going on here. Do you see any at all from a, from your banking perspective, do you see anything here at all that, that always kind of alarms you to like, I've seen this story before.
1: Well, there, there was a statement made a few years ago, Casey, that, uh, said history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme, I think that's kind of perhaps a potential we have for right now. Obviously, you can go back and look at what happened in the late 70s and into the early 1980s, and you look at that point where prime hit 21.5%. Certainly, no one wants to go back to that perspective that has any debt whatsoever. Depositors, however, would certainly love the opportunity to go back to bank CDs being 15%. But I would say, Casey, that trying to necessarily match up what happened at that time with what happened today as a predictor, I'm not sure how valid that's going to be. That being said... I think you can go back and look at the cause of some of the actions that occurred at that time. And you look at what's happening today and there are a few similarities that I think bear watching. One of the things certainly that is different if you look at, China, for example, and I believe I have this number correct, Casey, I believe in 1990, China was about 2% of the world economy. And a couple of years ago, it was about 14%. Certainly, that is vastly different than what we saw in the early period. Globalization today, uh, we're so much more interconnected today than we were. You look at the effect of biofuel today, on the corn market, and you look at some of the recent court cases, pardon me, of how biofuel could be affected, it it would seem that, and this is not going to be a surprise to anyone in agriculture, I think one of the major differences that we see today is the volatility effect from a time standpoint of how quickly things can be affected. Now, That being said, I can go back to the early 1980s and point to a period where the prime rate changed about 6% within six months, both higher and lower. So I'm not saying that that didn't occur back then, but what I am saying today, I think the ability that people have to access information is so much greater today that it increases the speed of the volatility, if you will. Inflation, obviously, is something that any of us today, that we, we go to the grocery store or we go to an auction to buy a piece of equipment or we go to put diesel in the truck, gasoline in the car, we're certainly experiencing inflation. It's also interesting when, when you look at the unemployment issues that presently exist and look at the cases you and I were talking earlier you know whether you're coming to the dealership there to look for a piece of equipment or say you wanted to buy a new side-by-side or four-wheeler the availability of inventory is just almost non-existent Yeah, and for as you and I were talking earlier I spoke with a dealer yesterday that on uh, that sells four-wheelers side-by-sides motorcycles they said They had four dirt bikes on their showroom floor and one four-wheeler. He said their next inventory would arrive in October, but it was already sold. So it's kind of, I think, an interesting anomaly when you look at what unemployment has done, but yet you look at what sales are doing. That's a little bit of a different dynamic, I think, certainly than we saw in the 70s. With regard to interest rates specifically, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the things that if you look at a doubling of interest rates in the early 1980s, that was going from 10% to 20% in order to double your interest cost. If you look today, there's a lot of guys that have interest rates at three, three and a quarter, three and a half, three seven five. Doubling the interest rates today would barely take it to where a 30-year normal interest rate shows to be. So I think that's something that producers need to maybe factor in a little bit is what happens if they look at their balance sheet and they look at the debt that they have out there that is not rate-locked? What if they shock those interest rates by 2% or 3%? How much of their gross production value will an increase of 2% eat into or 3%? And I think it's a good opportunity for them to, certainly they can look at it themselves or sit down with their lender and say, show me what happens if we see a 2% or 3% increase in rates. What happens to my payments? Not just the interest cost itself, but from the cash flow perspective. How much of my margin that I have projected this year would be eaten up if we saw that 2% or 3% increase if those payments had to be re-amortized? So interest is kind of like a commodity in one respect, Casey. It's never good to try to bet on where it's going to go. It's a better business methodology to manage the margin of interest as opposed to trying to predict the direction of interest. That way, if you're managing the margin, no different than with your corn, soybean, wheat, cattle sales, you're managing a margin, you're putting protective measures in place to help you on the downside, but you're also wanting to make sure you have upside potential on that it's the inverse on interest you're wanting to protect yourself from that upside increase so i would say that's just something producers need to probably be mindful of at least gotcha
2: (laughs) all right so that
1: that you laid that out nice
2: i mean the way that you kind of showed that out and and how, how those differences were there I had a conversation with a uh, my son mows grass, and conversation with a case salesman, and he's ninety years old. I think he's not ninety; he's almost ninety. And uh, I asked a question to him: You know, have you ever seen a time like this where the lack of new it was there, and there wasn't a bunch of used equipment to sell? I mean, you really don't have anything out there to sell. Uh, new or used, wise and he's like i've never seen this i've been doing this since 1945 or 47 and, and i haven't haven't seen this uh ever in my life so and the comment i've made a couple times is you know if we had a hundred tractors we'd sell 100 tractors and 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 still have another 100 people that want to buy 100 more tractors so right now we're we're busy in the fact that we're looking for we're, we're talking to customers we're getting things figured out but we just don't have the, the inventory to <clears throat> to really go out and sell, I mean, everything we have coming in is, is going to be, um, you know, Mark sold a new or we got the use sold behind that, you know, whatever that looks like, how those things work. Um, my theory that I have right now is that as you kind of take a look at, um, over the next three years, I think it's a great opportunity for guys to rebuild some equity that they lost in their equipment farms and everywhere else along the way. Um, then that last downturn, but I, I, I'm really kind of, a 2025 is kind of where my my number sticks in my head that we're going to start seeing some some big changes in the marketplace. I think supply and demand will catch up with each other and we'll have a, a more of a normal looking thing. So obviously prices will start to fall in. Um what goes on with commodity prices in that time frame is you know, your guess is as good as mine. I wouldn't mm-hmm. guess that we'd see a dollar swing in, you know, once a week <laughs> commodity mm-hmm. prices, but we sure are we're sure are seeing that here of late. But I guess as you take a look out there and start taking a look around, what's your feel for this? Did you, do you feel like, you know, is it two or three years? We're going to see a pretty good run and then we'll see, you know, like that typical five to seven year cycle, but that later two years of that that five year cycle where we start seeing things start to change and that slack in the rope starts to kind of get, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger, I guess. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Casey, I, I can't find anything to, dispute in what you just said. I think certainly with where prices are today I wouldn't want to put together a seven-year plan based upon today's prices. That that would be a little concerning to me. Mm -hmm. We obviously don't know where prices are headed but as you said earlier we were pleasantly surprised in what we saw happen beginning last fall and i would say that that's a very stark reminder of how quickly prices can move and if prices can move up in that time frame there's nothing that says that they can't reverse trend within a similar time frame as well we obviously don't know where some of our trading partners on the world stage are going to be in buying the commodities we have. We know that South America's production obviously is a huge player in the market as well today. And there's more land being developed there as well. So I think Casey, you're right. I would, and I'm not certainly in a position to say that things are going to stay status quo for the next three years, because I I wouldn't say that by any stretch of the imagination. But I think something you said earlier about that five to seven year cycle, I certainly wouldn't anticipate or wouldn't want to give anyone the mindset that we're going to experience some pretty good times here for the next five years, because I just don't know that to be true. And I think, Given the volatility we see, we're apt to see changes sooner rather than later. I think something you said earlier relative to the equity that has changed. If you look at a farmer's balance sheet today and and you look strictly at their equipment line, and let's talk about that for a moment. Casey, I went back and looked at some numbers here about a year and a half ago. And at that time, The machinery and equipment on the farmer's balance sheet, and what I was looking at, was the second largest asset that existed behind real estate. With some farmers, depending upon their structure, it's the number one asset. If you do a market value balance sheet based upon what we're seeing on machinery and equipment today, we've seen some pretty good equity appreciation in a lot of operations solely because of what has occurred within the equipment market one of the statements that i made over year over the years though is you can't take equity to the grocery store to buy a gallon of milk it's got to be cash Yeah, yeah and i think it's always a good policy to try to have the market value be as accurate as possible on the balance sheet but it's also worth a reminder That should we go back to what we saw in 2013 or 14 when we saw equipment values kind of fall off the table? The same thing would need to be looked at if we see an adjustment in equipment values in the negative direction. So I think that's something producers need to factor into their discussions with their lenders because and I'm gonna make a generalized statement here. There are ag lenders out there that I think do understand equipment values, but I think there's a significant percentage out there that maybe don't keep up with it on a daily basis either. So I think producers helping educate their lenders and what's going on helps them to have a more accurate financial statement. And I think certainly, that can benefit them from an interest rate perspective because interest rates, Casey, are a product of risk. The greater the risk typically, the higher the interest rate, the lower the risk, the less lesser interest rate. So I think that may be a valid point that producers can use in discussions with their bankers about where they are from a risk perspective and how that may translate into potentially a lower interest rate for them. Or if we see interest rates rise, Maybe why an interest rate doesn't tip doesn't rise, even though we're in a period of interest rate rises. So I kind of got off on a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but I I think that's something worth mentioning um, because it it does need to be a partnership between the producer and lender. Back to your point, Casey. I. I do agree with you. I I think that three-year window absent something in the marketplace, you know, certainly no one anticipated COVID and couldn't predict what we have seen from a marketability perspective. So I think that is a good starting point for people to look at their plans and We've talked before on here, Casey, about making sure that people have a perspective of having a five to 10 year plan. I think in today's world, maybe having that plan of three to five years mm-hmm. isn't a bad thought also, because we know that things can and do change pretty rapidly. So that that's kind of a suggestion that I would give to folks, particularly on the equipment side, because if a combine goes down today and they need to replace a combine, it's going to be a lot more challenging than what they've historically seen. And I think having a plan in place, what do we do if you know if we're running a combine that's got 1,500 hours on it and we have a major issue arise this fall? What is it we think we would do? What kind of funds do we anticipate needing to spend and just kind of be prepared for that occurring?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think looking at your uh, three to five year, especially when you start looking at what's going on in the uh, overall equipment marketplace right now, the the thing I don't want, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from doing anything, but the, the point that you have to maintain in the back of your mind is that, yes, this is an excellent time to go out and sell your equipment. Best time I think I've ever seen to go out and sell a piece of equipment right now. This year and next year, both will be just epic time to sell music equipment. Mm-hmm. Then the flip side of that though, you have to go back and buy whatever you're going to replace that with unless you're buying something new right now. If you're buying something new, that's a whole different, that's a whole different animal because that, that pricing is controlled by the manufacturer and mm-hmm. how all those things play together and yada, yada, yada. It's not, as a fluid of a market as you see what you in, in the on the used equipment side of the mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. used equipment side of the business is it's truly a commodity. It's just like corn or anything else. It's mm-hmm. whatever the market's going to bear that day and is what it is, right? <clears throat> and if you're going to back to buy and use you're going to buy something at the top of the marketplace. If you're going to buy something new, there, there's an opportunity I think to maybe hedge your bet a little bit mm-hmm. on, on some of this I could talk about the slack of the rope thing. I mean, the new side of it is going to have a lot less fluctuations mm-hmm. than if you bring a guy like you, your example, the 1500 hour combine.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, who knows where that's going to be at. My, my prediction right now, was I sit here and I look at the combine marketplace, it's starting to heat up. And I think by December of this year, the combine market is going to be hotter than anything else we have out there because of the fact that it's going to be what's available in a lot of, a lot of, Uh, especially when it comes for taxes and those kinds of things. I mean, it's going to be a hot marketplace and you could see these machines that we were talking about earlier in in many of these podcasts about, you know, you see an $80,000 combine might be bringing closer to 90, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars at an auction. And some of these 50,000, you know, jumping up to that 67, that $70,000 range. Mm -hmm. Now that's a short lived burst. Great time to take advantage of that. There again, you really got to start looking at what you're going to buy. What does that plan look like? I mean, the funds and those kind of things you're talking about, don't you take my seven-year-old combine, my five-year-old combine, my three-year-old combine, and move up to that, you know, maybe from, from seven-year-old combine to a three-year-old combine, and from a three-year-old combine to that one-year-old trade or a new one or something like that, and how that all plays in there. Conversations you're having with your guys right now, because I know you got to have people coming and talking to you about you know, I'm looking at the end of the year and I'm mm-hmm. like I'm not sure the decent crop prices are, you know, whatever they are, might be. What kind of conversations are you having with your folks and, and what kind of advice are you given in that kind of realm right there about what's the right thing for me to do and, and why is it the right thing for me to do?
1: Well, there's two things that come to mind immediately. And number one, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say by you can have mechanical failure with a brand new combine. So Absolutely. I, I want to say that. But also, one of the things, Casey, that, that I'm thinking that needs to be a consideration that historically has not been as much of an issue. We know that there are challenges in the supply chain for new equipment. And by the way, I, I don't like the term supply chain. I'll be honest with you. It's just the fact that it's hard to get new equipment, okay? The supply chain sounds a little too intelligent for me. Right. right. We we know that it's a challenge getting new equipment today. We know it's a challenge finding used equipment. But one of the things I, I don't hear spoken of as much, but I know those challenges are out there. Getting parts for used equipment yeah. is not as simple as necessarily making a phone call and it being there tomorrow. So one of the things that I'm really encouraging, guys, that, again, if the combine's got 700 hours or 1,500 hours, whichever, Look realistically at what you think the mechanical condition of that combine is because not all 700-hour combines are the same. Not all 1,500-hour combines are the same. Look realistically at what your mechanical condition is of your combine. Look realistically at what do you do if you have a challenge this fall that's major. Does it make sense if you're in a position from a working capital perspective, from an equity perspective, does it make sense to go ahead and consider, even though prices are a little higher right now, than maybe they'd like, would you rather take the risk to some degree off the table by upgrading that machine right now, as opposed to maybe getting into harvest, having an issue, not being able to get parts for a little bit longer than normal, And, you know, when, Casey, we've talked about this before, when you look at the volume that combines can handle today, a two-day downtime in today's world can be a significant portion of a crop just simply because of the speed at which the crop comes out anymore. So one of the things I'm really encouraging guys to do if they're not running a brand new combine, look realistically at this condition and factor in Are you going to be okay if your combines down for three or four days this fall because you can't get a part in the normal time frame? And look at what that's going to cost you. And again, going back to the capital replacement plan that I've talked about before. Mm -hmm. Are you better off going ahead and maybe if you can find something that fits your needs right now, but it is a challenge without a doubt, but are you better off maybe going ahead and making that trade before we get into fall? No. Now, the latter part of your question. And I think this is potentially the more complicated part this year than what we've ever seen. Historically speaking, in case you could speak to this better than I do. I don't know what the percentage of an organization's equipment sales are that occur in the last 20 days of the calendar year. But my guess is in periods like this of good commodity prices, it's pretty darn Yeah. This fall, what happens if you go to the accountant and you don't go until December 10th and you look at that tax bill and you look at those Section 179 that may be available, but you can't find the right machine. Obviously, you have prepays, but there are limitations on the deductibility of the amount of prepays, as I understand it. And and I'm not an accountant. So I would say make sure that you understand what those are. But how can you manage that tax liability if you can't find the equipment that you want to trade? The other thing, obviously, and you touched on it earlier, Casey, we've seen some people that have made some outright sales this year. In replacing equipment that maybe historically they would have traded in with the tax law changes from a couple of years ago, making sure what capital gains might be present because of the sale of that piece of equipment outright or on a trade in, either one. Just making sure what effect that may have on taxable income this year is also something else that I think people need to be mindful of. But I think talking to the accountant today about what are our options this fall if we can't find equipment to trade for for 179? What are the other options we're going to have to minimize tax liability that won't kill our cash flow? Yeah. because you know, I've seen purchases made solely for the purpose of saving taxes. I don't think as a general rule, I've seen that be a successful strategy when it didn't fit into a long-term plan for the operation. Uh, I know no one likes to pay taxes, but there are times where honestly, paying a few dollars in taxes are a better option than creating a 179 deduction just for the sole purpose of minimizing taxes.
2: Yep. Yep, no, I'm, I'm gonna go back to your tax liability um, comment there about buying equipment at the end of the year. And that's something I've been given a lot of thought about is uh, if you're in a situation right now where you are thinking that you're going to have done that you pencil it out and you've assumed some things and you've done those kind of things, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend that you start sitting down with your accountants right now and start really digging into that. some to some assumptions based on commodity prices are X and I've got this kind of bushels and so on and so forth. Here's my you know, payment structures and those other things and start getting an idea what that looks like now, because if you start, wait, if you wait till November, December to show up to start looking at, and I really think this year is going to be a lot like last year where corn harvest starts early, ends early, and there's like that 30 or 45 day lull between, mm-hmm. typically between the end of, uh, you know, end of, end of fall harvest going into the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many years, except for last year, it's been, you know, harvest ended, you know, December 20th and now we got, you know, 10 days to go make a decision type of thing. I would encourage everybody listening to this to sit down with your accountants and start looking at where you're at. Because if you're looking at needing to buy a machine or upgrade a machine or get some repairs done or something like that to start looking at offsetting some of these tax, taxable situations mm-hmm. you have, I'd start doing that right now. And because if it's available, you need to jump on it because it I don't know what's going to be there at the end of the year.
1: And Casey, I, I agree with you. And I think something that I would append to that as well. Once that conversation occurs with the accountant and there's a belief that there is going to be a need for something, I think immediately having that conversation with someone like you from the equipment side, whoever they're dealing with on their equipment, don't wait until the end of November to say, hey, I think I may be interested in trading. I think if they kind of believe based upon their conversation with the accountant, that's going to be a reasonable Expenditure that they're going to need to make, have that conversation with the equipment person now because just simply due to the constraint we're seeing in the volume of good use equipment, I would think them making you aware and their equipment salesman aware of what their potential needs are would put them a little earlier in the line. That it helps you when you're looking at trading with someone to know where there may be a sale for that used piece of equipment. So I think it potentially puts them in a position to be aware of something a little earlier in the process than normal, maybe. And also helps you be fair to both the person buying the newer piece of equipment and the piece of equipment that's coming in on trade. So I I, I don't believe that's typically done. Most producers I know don't sit down with their equipment guy at the end of July or 1st of August. But honestly, I think it'd be a good thing to do this year.
2: Yeah, I think this is an exceptional year to to take a look at that. Just because of, if this was any other typical year where we had plenty of new stuff coming in, you know, the, the 22s were showing up in the fall and yeah, we got this nice a lot of of mm-hmm. dealer you know dealer purchase stuff that we're going to put in stock and those kind of things. And then we've got some, you know, use coming in behind that. Yeah, since urgency is not there, but I think this year is a different add the animal together, where making sure that you've got your, your ducks in the proverbial row is, is going to get you a- ahead of the game quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll no, doubt about it. Okay. So now you've, you've had your farmer hat on, you've had your banker hat on now let's put on your equipment guy hat a little bit here. And let's ask you a few questions there. So auctions are something that I, I firmly believe in. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. auction market is, is the, the best indicator as to what's going on in the marketplace retail markets um react to what happens in the um in the auction market eventually mm-hmm. the auction market never reacts to what's going on in the retail market right it's, it's mm-hmm. the kind of the trendsetter so mm-hmm. right now you go to watch any auction and the, va- the values of used mm-hmm. equipment through the roof everyone's buying stuff i mean i've watched auctions sell for more than what I had even even have it advertised for. So it, it tells you where the where the marketplace is at. So watch those trend lines develop, you can tell where that there's a huge demand for used equipment in the marketplace, especially good quality used equipment. Mm-hmm. When on the flip side of that though, and the reason I watch auctions is because I'm trying to predict when when I need to pull the plug on something to start scrambling down and and and, and redirecting assets in the different areas and stuff like that. When you're watching auction marketplaces, and as you watch these upticks and these downticks and these flows in the market, and those kind of things, what trend lines are you watching to tell you to say, "Hey, you know what? I see a downturn coming, and I need to start, you know, fortifying a few little areas here and there." Where, where are those points that you're paying attention to, and why?
1: Well, first of all, the the thing that I try to do is throw out what I think are aberrations that occur in that market because. And certainly with what we've seen explode, in my opinion, over the past 18 months because of COVID Mm -hmm. with the online auction becoming so much more prevalent, even than what we saw at the beginning of 2020, there's still aberrations in the marketplace. And so one of the things, Casey, that I look at when I see something that really catches my eye because... Obviously, we know used values are trending higher, just simply because new values trend higher, and that is logical that that's going to occur. But I, I try to make sure that I don't look at something that truly is an aberration as a reasonable sale. And so, what what I try to look at is look at similar hours, similar condition, similar options on three or four of the same type item over a couple of month period. That's that's what I'm really looking at, Casey, to try to figure out where the market is moving. And right now it's pretty easy right. to be able to tell where the market's moving. But I think when you when we do see the adjustment come and it will, it always does, that's what I'm going to be looking at more is the component the other thing that i think is it used to be that auctions were a little more regional that's not true anymore auctions yeah. are truly national today right. but it's also still true that demand is regional so you know it depends a 12 row 30 inch corn planter is not going to sell obviously as well in some areas of the country as it is in others so that's the other thing I look at. When I see sales prices on an auction, I'm looking at where did that auction occur? And I also try to take that into consideration because, you know, if you go back, what was it, a couple of years ago when Ohio really got hammered from a weather perspective and Eastern Ohio just had a train wreck from a crop perspective. And again, that was prior to what I what I would call the proliferation of the online auction. You could go back during that period of time and you could see some down sales in that area. Yeah. So that's the other thing, Casey, that I try to take into consideration a little bit. The other thing is also what does it look like the demand for that type of equipment might be on an ongoing basis? You know, obviously, operations are continue to get bigger and bigger. You know, when, you know, good grief, when, you know, I was 18 years old in uh, 1982, I go back and I look at the 4440 in 1982. That was such a versatile tractor. I mean, you could plant with it, you could tillage with it, and about any size farm in that era needed that size tractor today that's an auger tractor for the most part (laughs) right exactly yeah or or somebody (laughs) you know somebody like me that i'd like to have an 82 that i can restore and you (laughs) don't keep as a collector tractor so i think that's the other (laughs) thing you see that i take into consideration as well in that if i look if i'm buying a piece of equipment to resell you know first of all i don't want to buy anything that i won't keep and use for a little bit because i want to know what it looks like but number two what do i think the demand for that is going to be you know maybe even 12 months down the road because obviously trends don't change that quickly but i also look at look at it from that perspective who's my potential buyer for that piece of equipment so i think that's something else i look at um you know and obviously you have people that are loyal to brands and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because you know brand loyalty in many families is a heritage you know if this firm's only had green or this firm's only had red so you know that's something else that I look at Casey as well because you know even in our area I can take you to certain areas where red's more predominant than green green's more predominant than red so I look at that as well one of the other things that that I'm also going to be interested to watch over time is, and I'm going to you know use green as pick deer as an example here, but in looking at pre-deaf tractors versus deaf tractors, how is that value, if you draw the line at the pre-deaf versus the deaf, how am I seeing that trend separate? What's that pre-deaf tractor, that twelve or thirteen model with x hours? versus that 14 model that's the same model but it has x hours am i seeing a widening in that gap of the first year of the deaf versus the last year of the non-deaf that's something else that i do take into consideration when i'm looking at it as well Mm
2: -hmm. yeah so trend lines are thing that I, i really am concerned about from a perspective of I think this is the first time in an uptick where we don't see, we see, don't see a a growth in farm. Um, The number of farms we see a decrease in the number of farms, Mm -hmm. and the reason I say that is, I talk about this generational crossroads and all these different things all the time. There's, like I said, there's guys that but we're thinking about retiring in, in 20. 14 or something like that. And when kind of right at the, the tail end, they're like, no, what, we're going to hold on. We're going to ride this out a couple more years and things are going to bounce back. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't happen. Right. So now they're kind of doing their, doing their thing or they're right at the age of retirement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But now they're at retirement age and they're going to, I think farm till, till it doesn't. it's not fun anymore. And then they're going to, they're going to retire. I think this next three year period, the number of uh, farms are going to decrease and obviously the, number, the size of farms are going to grow, especially with the operations I have, this next generation coming back into them. Mm-hmm. What concerns me about that more than anything is that I can give an example of, of a farmer that I work with that, um, he, there's probably seven or eight farms that, that he's rented or whatever, because whoever retired. And the bad thing about those guys, when they retired, they were the ones buying his used equipment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now we're going to start seeing that on a grander scale. And what does that look like? And I think from the U.S., you know, in in Canada, um, kind of uh, market and what that looks like. I really feel like that first generation trade and that second generation trade will always have a home. We're always going to be able to find a place for those to go. Um, it's when you start getting past that second generation trade into that third, fourth, fifth, so on and so forth that we're going to continue to have a problem. Mm-hmm. And typically. The way markets work, you don't have a a, a real stark drop off someplace where you have, you know, these are high premium, high premium prices, and all of a sudden there's just this, you know, this drop off to this next thing down here. There's usually a, a pretty, you know, stagnant decline in pricing, right? And and what one segment's doing, the other one's kind of bringing it down. What's that type of thing, and or bringing it up, whatever might be going on. I, that's my biggest concern. And that's the one thing that I'm going to pay the closest attention to is. What's happening with that that five to seven year old combine and that that you know eight to twelve year old tractor? Where are those things playing out in the market right now, and, mm-hmm. and are they piling up, or you know, what does that inventory issue look like? That's what I'm paying attention to the most
1: of. Mm-hmm. And Casey, one of one of the things that I think the advancement in equipment is allowed to happen is You know, when again, I'll I'll go back to the period of time when I was growing up. When, if you go back to the early 80s, if you were a 1500 acre farmer, you were a pretty good sized farmer. The the reality of it is, in many parts of the country today, you can easily farm a thousand to 1500 acres as part time operation. Right. Now, what that does from an equipment perspective. it actually creates additional spending opportunities for the producer potentially to be able to move into that nicer piece of equipment just simply because in all likelihood, they have some pretty good off-farm income. Their insurance is most likely paid from an off-farm job. So the farming operation can afford a little bit nicer piece of equipment than historically maybe what it could have. So, And I I haven't seen a lot of governmental statistics on those type of operations where they are as far as a percentage of the total operations within the country. But I know locally, or maybe I should say regionally in this area, I can go to some areas where that's a pretty common occurrence where you know maybe they're living within 30 miles of a wow. decent city where there's some good employment opportunity and they're actually the ones picking up some of the land that when that person is retiring it may not be that larger operation. but I think Casey there's there's going to be a place for those pieces of equipment like you're talking about in those type operations. Okay. So I think that's going to help solidify that market a little bit but i think your point's exactly right there is a point of equipment in there that it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to find a home for and if you go that 20 year old piece of equipment or older which you know i i also find it interesting you know again go back to the early 80s if you were farming with a 30 year old tractor in the early 80s it was truly an antique if you're farming today with a 30-year-old tractor, other than the technological upgrades, it's still a pretty modern piece of equipment for the most part. Yeah. So I think that's another thing that's changed in farming. And I think it's reflected that, you know, if, if you look at a, you know, you look at a 1991 uh, 30-year-old tractor, or maybe even a 25-year-old tractor, which are gonna go up a couple series when you go to that 25-year-old, those still have strong prices. In in some cases, the prices of those tractors today are at or above what they were when they were new. So I think that's another interesting component that's a good discussion point on equipment. But I think, Casey, the maybe the answer to the question is, I think there's some part-time operations that are going to absorb some of that equipment, obviously not all of it. But I think the other thing that may be positive from the dealer's perspective that part timer is probably going to be willing to maybe trade a little more frequently, especially in times of good commodity prices, because they're going to be looking for some opportunities to offset the revenues that they've generated with some expenses. And, you know, let's face it, I've never met a farmer yet, and I'm no different. Who doesn't like to trade equipment? It is a
2: hobby of you guys, that's, the <laughs> that's, that's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. One last topic, and then we'll, we'll shut it down uh technology it's it's ever changing it's it's growing every day and and more and more things are coming to the marketplace where it's getting more and more automated. We're we're just a flip of a switch away from having fully autonomous vehicles. I mean we have it now with turn automation and all those kind of things that are out there. But mm-hmm. I guess as you take a look at that and you're having those conversations with your guys, mm-hmm. where does the technology piece come into play comparatively to the price of that technology? For example, um you know, let's say you go and start using like machine sync or uh, scene spray or something like that, where you're you're looking at a significant amount of, of of revenue that will go in in into those machines. How do you how are you managing that, that that return on investment
1: conversation with your customers? First of all, I'm congratulating them for looking at it and considering the change because. Change in that regard is not something to be fearful of. It's something to understand and use the right term, return on investment. The question that I would typically ask someone, and I found it interesting because I actually heard a customer of mine on an interview that I did talk about this very subject, and he called me a couple of days later. and He said, I want to talk to you face-to-face, and it was about this very thing because it was about how you utilize technology. To obtain additional profitability, in my question to him, Casey was the same that, that I have for every, for everyone that looks at this. Show me how you feel this is going to generate a profit over and above the cost. Because what what I want to understand is, are they looking at it as a piece of equipment to be purchased, or in this case, a piece of technology to be purchased? Or are they looking at it as a profit opportunity that's presenting itself? And what I look for in an answer is how much in the case of a sprayer, what what are you looking at potentially the value being because of not over spraying? What do you think it's going to do to your chemical costs? What do you think that it will do whenever you have discussions with your landlords about how you're using the technology technology on their field in order to keep from applying additional chemical that doesn't really need to be, you know, how do you see that translating into profitability? That's the type questions that I want to ask. And I want to hear from them, not that there's a perfect answer because there isn't all I'm looking for in the discussion is how they are considering the transaction. Because if it's about cost savings, then it becomes a little more about their working capital position and their overall equity. If it's about profit opportunity, then there's a different discussion to be had. And what I'm finding for the most part, Casey, Producers are doing a good job today when they're looking at this technology and approaching it the right way. They're truly approaching it from what kind of money will this generate me from a profit perspective? And that's the exact thing as a lender that I'm looking to hear because it helps me understand how they are managing their operation differently, certainly than they were 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, when, when auto Steer first came out, it was not really a profit discussion. It was completely a technology discussion and that's completely changed today. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, This has been a great conversation as usual. I really, I really enjoy it when you come on here, we get a have a great, a great uh, conversation back and forth here. So, Alan, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about uh, who you are, what you're doing, those kind of things. Pick your brain about what's going on. What's the best place to do that?
1: Uh, they can reach me. Uh, our uh, office phone number is 800-876-2362. And they can also reach me by email at ahoskins at com. And welcome all calls. Uh, you know, I always enjoy Casey visiting with people. I never get off the phone with someone that I don't learn something from. So I love I having that problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I have the same problem, man. So it's a it's a good good deal there. So this has been uh, Alan Hoskins is the president national director of American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services out of Lexington, Kentucky. Right, right. Louisville, Sorry. Louisville. Okay, Louisville, Kentucky. All right. So, Alan, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man.
1: Casey, appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to be on.
2: Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to uh, movingironloc.com to find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast there, as well as blogs I have posted. Also, you'll find all the information you need to find about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, for the September 15th through the 17th. and that is a great place to do some networking. So check that out. All the registration information, hotel information, speakers, um, agenda, all those things are all right there. So check that out. And uh, if you need more information about that, send me an uh, email at MovingIronPodcast at movingironpodcast.com and I'll get back to you with the answers to the questions you might have. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Alan Hoskins. Let's give me some iron, folks.
0: You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com.
1: Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working
2: hard for Again,
1: through the years, you'll find us here, moving higher.